Welcome to We Gotta Talk, a live weekly talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. From health to relationships to alternative lifestyles and more, the one thing you will always get is a deep dive. I'm Sunny, a 15-year veteran of TV news, freelance writer, blogger, mom of three, and wife. But most of all, I'm just a die-hard oversharer, someone who's genuinely curious about, well, everything around me. And I can't wait for you to join in on these conversations that I promise will impact, inspire, and entertain you. Now, let's talk. Hey everybody, Sunny here. Welcome to episode 106 of We Gotta Talk with Sunny. This week's show brought to you by a very special sponsor that I am so excited to tell you about. Kinko Natural Deodorant, powered by nature, elevated by science. Kinko's unique blend contains a special microbiome mix, which actually feeds the good bacteria on your skin, helping to prevent the stink. Now, here's what I was fascinated by when talking with the founder of Kinko, Chelsea. She told me that sweat alone doesn't stink. I know it's crazy, right? It's only when it comes into contact with bacteria on your skin that it begins to smell. So Kinko works by feeding the good bacteria and keeping the stink at bay. It is responsibly sourced too, which I know all of you fellow sustainable friends can get behind the ingredients, all sustainable. And it's also combined with a low carbon footprint. The product never is tested on animals and it contains non-toxic ingredients. So this is something that I stand behind literally in every regard. And unlike other antiperspirants that can clog your underarms, which is so uncomfortable, can cause rashes, irritation. This formula, I can tell you personally, is incredibly gentle, no toxic, no harmful ingredients. And hey, sweating is natural and necessary to detox. So we want to allow that to happen. I've actually been using Kinko for, oh gosh, about a year and a half straight now and only Kinko. It's literally the only thing that touches my pits. And it works even in the hot Florida heat and humidity, which I feel like is an incredible testament to this product. You know, here's the exciting part. You guys can try Kinko for 20% off and free shipping. Go to their website, kinko.care. Use the promo code SUNNY. That's S-O-N-N-I. You'll get 20% off plus free shipping. I use the unscented version because I don't like to mess with fragrances. They kind of make me itchy, but they also have a Sakura Rose fragrance, which gets rave reviews. So you can check that out if scent is more your thing. Again, go to the website, kinko.care. Use promo code SUNNY, S-O-N-N-I, at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. All right, I'm super excited about today's episode, guys. Um, As we said, and we've been saying for the past week on Instagram, uh, we are tackling the topic of emotional eating today, which is um, a really complicated issue. And I think looks a little different for everybody, depending on what your life experience has been. So we have Andrea Montoya coming on in a couple of minutes. um, And she is a nutritionist, a certified food and body coach. She is a self-described ex-binge eater and personal development junkie. She's based in Miami. And you guys have to check out the testimonials on her site. She has had incredible progress working with her clients on overcoming emotional eating and really getting to the core of what's causing our issues with binge eating or overeating. So I'm really excited to bring her on in a few minutes. But as we always do, let's bring on Rachel, producer Rachel, for a quick pre-show chat to check in a little bit. I'm told that you have a question for me. Partially nervous, Rach, partially excited. No, no, no. So I am, uh, when it comes to like beauty maintenance, right? Like nail, we get our nails done, we get our hair cut, we get our eyebrows either like waxed or threaded or... Mm -hmm. Um, 
what's the razor thing people use, microbladed. Like we've got all these things and talking about all of those things are completely normal and common, right? Why don't we talk about what we do with our upper lip hair? <laughs> because not everybody is hairy like us. Maybe not everybody's always shaving lips. What do you do? Do you wax? Well, do you thread? Well, that's the thing. I'm like, what am I doing? I use Jolene, the Jolene cream bleach that like was oh my popular God. in 1960. I, I put the white thing on for 20 you, minutes and I bleach my upper lip. I think I'm you, the only person in her mid thirties who bleaches her upper lip. <laughs> Don't do it, girl. You need to be shaving that. Number but one, I used that and it left like a foam. It would yeah. leave that like white foam mustache. Well, it always made me itchy. So that's part of the reason I got away from it. But you know those tinkle razors? We'll link them in show notes. But it's okay. like, um, it's a face razor. So I just hold up here and I just gently go down on the stash area and and it it just shaves it. Now the growth, like the regrowth, yeah. is kind of quicker than if you were to wax. I've waxed it too. But um, well, you, you get, get pricklies. But you get pricklies when you kiss your husband, and he can feel that. That was always my self-conscious concern. Like I did go through a phase where I shaved it, and I was like, "Oh my god, I bet that I bet that guy can tell that I shaved my upper <laughs> lip, and he can feel the pricklies." And I was like, "I've got to grow it back out. I've got to grow it back out, and then I'll do deal to bleaching." Wax it, girl. You need to get there and just rip that, rip that oh, stuff right off. But I have a sensitive skin, Sunny, and it like, and then I have this bright red upper lip for like hours, and then I can't do anything. If I could get it, if I could afford to get it lasered, I would. But, but you, I, here's the thing with laser, though, it needs to be super dark. It needs to be high right. contrast between the hair and the skin. Is it? See, mine's not dark. I am super hairy, but my mustache, knock on wood, is like light enough that. I don't know. It's like the one part that's not too bad. If I let no, it go, girl, I get dark. Is it dark? I get dark pieces in there, and if I like am not in the sunlight to give my upper lip a check, like there's some <laughs> dark, dark, hairy pieces in there. You know what I get now that I'm approaching forty, and my mom and I are notorious for like finding these on each other is the chinny chin chins. I have this one, and when I think, I just lift it up like this. I'm like, oh, I'm rubbing my chinny chin while I think it. It's this one wiry hair that always comes. Actually, it's right here. It's on this side. Oh, and I love it so much. I know. Yeah, I don't. I haven't gotten that. But nobody talks about their upper lip. Like we don't make cool TikTok videos about like getting our upper lip waxed. No, we do. You're right. You need to start that trend, girl. There's no shame in body hair. I have been waxing. I joke about this, but waxing or or shaving or not threading. I did that a couple times or plucking since I was literally 11 years old. I used to have a unibrow, which God love that my children now have. I mean, we were teased, my poor yeah. sister and I. Like we had to go in hard on the tweezing because we had the um, we had oh, the yeah. unibrow. So well, I. Dark upper lip hair started to come in in middle school, and I was so self conscious. I remember going to the bathroom, and I thought putting water on it would make it look oh, less dark. Bless your little heart. Like, and then I finally got the courage to tell my mom, and she was like, "Oh, honey, you just put this bleach. We'll just bleach it. That's what I oh. did." And then I so here we are still 1950s uh, bleaching your upper <laughs> I'm sending you a tinkle razor to retry the tinkle. I'm telling you it, it okay. might grow in a little quicker, but I think you'll like it better. But the boys don't notice the prickly. No, May no, maybe it's because Andrew has a beard and he just has enough coming out of his own face that he doesn't feel it. Oh, cause just like, date, a guy, date a guy with some facial hair. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, I can't ask the guy that you're dating, like to be like, could you tell I I shaved my upper lip? Like, oh. do you feel 
the pricklies here. And then it's like a whole thing. Like I can't ask him that, you know? So You can 10 years into marriage though. I'm here to tell you that. You can not, also not apologize. Days. Not 10 days in 10 years. The lack of boundaries in this house is astounding. We should do, we should do an episode on what changes in 10 years. We're coming up on 10 years in May. And sometimes I step outside of myself and I hear the things that I'm saying, like, oh, I'm like way overdue for my bikini wax. Or like, oh my God, why are my toes so hairy? And he's like, can there be like one level of filter? And I'm like, no, you saw a baby come out of my body. Like what is there left? You know? Yeah. But boundaries, yeah, boundaries expand and uh, pride goes away after a while. Do you do you go number two in front of Andrew? Uh, with the bathroom, we we stay far from each other okay. still. That's the one thing. Well, so, I mean, there's times he's left the door open and I'm like, can you shut it? <laughs> but I mean, for the most part, I guess that's the one boundary that's still in place. But other than that, truly, nothing is off limits. Yeah, I think like you've got to keep like one thing like, you know, a girlfriend of mine, she's like, she just moved in with her boyfriend and she's like, Ray, what if I fart in front of him? What if I forget <laughs> and I just let one rip and I've lived by myself for so long? What's he going to think? And I was like, I mean, I don't know. She's like, I don't want to fart in front of him. I'm going to keep having to go to the, go into the bathroom every five minutes. He's going to think something's wrong with me. Oh my God. That is, that's some newlywed slash like new BFGF shit right there. Like, oh, I don't want them to know I fart. He's like, I, you know, I get the gas all the time. What am I going to do? Oh my do? God. That's hysterical. Oh, Rach. We're going to do a whole episode of like boundaries because I feel like this is, um, yeah, there's no shame in your mustache game. Listen, from one ethnic girl to another, I'm here to say, own the facial hair and find your depilatory method of choice and just stick with it. I mean, oh my God, you have I the look picture. Like. <laughs> oh I'm my like, God, that's hysterical. I, I wish make, that your, make that your new Bumble profile picture, please. <laughs> and you can just be like, I'm putting it all out there. There, will, I promise there will be one guy that's like, you know what, that chick is cool. Yeah, that girl is awesome. I'm like, just make the next one like a super hot picture on the swipe, you know? Exactly, like the before and after. Anyway, let's get into our conversation. I needed to know because I just was like, this feels like very 1970s and there's got to be a better way, but there's a better way. You just got to do it. Tinkle Razors coming your way. You text me your address. All right. Bye, Rach. Oh, Shelly uh, just piped in on Facebook and she said professional dermaplaning. Yeah, that's kind of like the same thing. Take a razor to your face. Um, all right. Anyhow, welcome to this episode of We Gotta Talk. I love catching up with Rachel. I'm super excited about today's guest too. Like we said, Andrea Montoya is a an emotional eating coach. She's a nutritionist, a certified food and body coach, and a self-described ex-binge eater. Really excited about this topic um, and I'm really happy to have Andrea on because this is something that I feel like everybody can relate to. Andrea, how are you? Can you hear us okay? Sorry, I realized my Mac. <laughs> it's okay. Hey, I'm good. I am just cracking up back here. You guys are hilarious. I love you both. I know you, so many women can relate to that. Yeah, of course. Do you? What mustache removal form do you choose? I shave. I, I mean, shave. you might not have a mustache, but I, I mean, if you do. Yeah, I shave as well. I used to. I used to. That's funny with her picture because that used to be me all day with like that, you know, bleaching thing still. But now oh I'm like 
who's got time for that? I just kind of shave real quick and that's it. But yeah, I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love it so much. And you're, you're based in Miami right now. Right. So we like to like tell people where they are in case they want to like meet up or yes. work with someone that we interview. So how's Miami these days? It's awesome. I mean, I'm pretty, you know, I'm home working from home, so I'm not too sure how everything is out there, but, mm -hmm. um, but it's good. It's good. It's good. It's, it's, the weather is incredible and you know, it's nice. That's, that's what I love. At least I'm, we're able to like go for walks and, you know, and Florida has been so restaurants and everything or everything's good. So. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I said, gosh, like everybody makes fun of Florida, but like, I'm like kind of glad I'm in Florida right now. Oh, me too. <laughs> I, yes. It's just like, there's options. We're not locked in the house. So yeah. um, I was preparing for this episode and obviously reading all of your credentials and the background you have. And I want to start off by digging in right away to what an emotional eating coach is, because I think people are familiar with what the concept is of binge eating or emotional issues surrounding eating. But when you say you're a coach that works with that, how does that exactly look when you work with your clients? Yeah, really good question. So I work with women, just like you're saying, women that work that struggle around emotional eating, around binge eating, around eating disorders that have maybe been, you know, or, or even women that just are yo-yo dieting a lot, you know, in the past I've done it and I, I've been, through, I used to be a binge eater. I used to be bulimic, all the different things. And, um, and, and the yo-yo dieting was a really, really big piece for me as well. So, so often we just like, we start new diets and we end up self-sabotaging, gaining the weight back. And so I work with women around all of that. And it really is what I really, I, I like to get to the root cause of what's going on. So most of us are starting new diets in order to, I don't know, to willpower or force our way into stopping the emotional eating, right? Um, what I like to do is I get to the root cause of why are we eating in the first place? Most of the time, it's, it's feelings that we've been told don't feel, you know, stuff it down. Um, just, you know, put on your big girl panties and go like, don't, you know, we're, we've been taught not to feel for so long that we just numb all of those emotions. And so we, I get to the root cause of like, okay, what, what is causing normally we feel the anxiety, we feel anxiety, we don't know how to deal with it. We haven't taught how to, we haven't been taught how to process our emotions. So we turn to food. And so it's more about getting healing from the root healing from, okay, what are, what are the learning? How do we even process our emotions, healing stuff from when we were little, maybe we were taught that we have to look a certain way in order to be lovable, in order to be worthy in order, in order to be valued. So, um, so yeah, so that's more, it's, it's going really, really, really deep. I actually do not talk about food literally almost at all, maybe like 10% of my programs I talk about food, but it's really not the, the cause, right? Like food is just what we use to numb. It's just the thing that we are, um, it's like the drug. It's just the most socially acceptable and readily available drug on the market, really, right? <laughs> so It's true. I mean, gosh, I'm hearing you say this and being the mother of, of two daughters, I have a son and two daughters, it breaks my heart that that standard is still there. And then when we talk about things like emotional eating, I know we don't like to gender discussions or topics too much lately, but the fact is mostly women deal with this and it's always because of what we're told about how we should feel, how we should look, how we should be. And it breaks my heart that it is 2021 and we are still here and we are listening to a dialogue that always happens outside of us, whether in advertising or on social media, telling us who we need to be. And it just, it makes me mad, Andrea. You know what I mean? Like, this is not the world I want for my kids. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that just like you mentioned, I just had a baby girl 
And I, for so long, I was so afraid of having a girl. I was like, I'm only going to be a boy mom because I've dealt with so many insecurities in my life. And I have had the eating disorders and the feeling like I'm not worthy and not lovable. And I'm like, what am I going to do when my daughter goes through this? Like, I don't even know how to handle this. Right. So I, um, I'm so happy that I've been able to work through everything and finally learn, like, how do I deal with these emotions? What's true for me? Like, what do I, do I want to listen to what society has to say or what, what's, what's my truth? And so I get to unravel all of those things, peel back these layers of conditioning, which is really what it is. Like we are at our root. We are, we're so perfect. We're so lovable. We're so worthy. We just have these layers of conditioning, just like you're saying that we're 2021 and we're still dealing with, uh, with this narrative, right. Of people telling us, what, who we need to be or what we need to do in order to be worthy, lovable, uh, accepted, validated. Yeah. It, it's it's yeah. really sad. Um, I, I want to start with where you start with your clients. So obviously every case is different. People have different experiences growing up and different um, sort of uh, self-image statuses. But what is one common starting place that you begin with your clients in order to help them figure out what exactly is happening um, inside? So we... Hmm. Everyone is so different. So this is, you know, it's very, it depends on, on the person, but really at the, the, the very first thing is always presence, right? It's always understanding what is actually going on. What is most of us, like I ask people, you know, or, or we'll binge or we'll emotionally eat. And at the end of like, we'll eat. And all of a sudden we finish eating and we're like, who was that? Like, I wasn't even there. I don't know. I was just eating while I was watching TV and I don't even know what happened. How much did I eat? And so it really, first off, we just have to get really, really present. I teach a lot on presence on, and I know sometimes it's a word that's kind of thrown around too much, but it is like key. We cannot heal something we're not aware of. So the very first place to start for everyone is just getting really, really present around what is actually going on. What triggered the, the episode of binge eating? What, where, where is that stemming from? And so then I, you know, we dive so, so, so much deeper into all of that, but I first need to know, you know, where, where's what's going on? What, what's done this? Yeah. Is there, is there a common theme you hear with the women you work with? And I know that I, I'm kind of trying to like, I'm not trying to drill down on one thing because we are all wildly different, but I'm wondering in particular if there are instances of specific trauma that can kick this off, or if this is more a broad issue of little bits of conditioning that we have seen as we grow up through messaging outside of us, or is it kind of a mix of both? It's kind of a mix of both, but there is one thing that I see across everyone is like perfectionism, all or nothing mindset. It's this, maybe when we were little, most of us as women, one of the, the biggest, you know, I'm, I've been working with Tony Robbins for the last like six to eight years or so. And so, you know, one of the questions that he loves to ask that I love to ask all of my clients as well is what, uh, who did, whose love did you seek the most when you were little? Most of us as women, it's, you know, it's a love that we that was a little harder to get maybe and usually it's our dads were a little bit more absent or maybe you know maybe they weren't there maybe there's some um what's it called yeah maybe they weren't there maybe there's uh maybe they were just working a lot and so the way that we got love was through achievements through and we believed maybe that i have to look a certain way you know my dad gives my mom praise or gives me praise when i look a certain way or whatever the ways that we got love when we were little are ways that we are still looking for that love now as adults. And so if we believe that we have to, we had to be perfect. We had to achieve, we had to get good grades. We had to do all these things. 
as when we were little to get the love, then those are the things that we're still doing. And so that developed a lot of perfectionism, a lot of all or nothing mindset, a lot of beating ourselves up, a lot of judgment towards ourselves. And so um, all of that kind of always spirals into, especially the first time you try a diet, now all of a sudden it's this all or nothing mindset. Like I, I ate a piece of chocolate today and I wasn't supposed to, or I, you know, I went a little bit over on my macros and then it's like, screw it. I'm eating all the things. And so then we end up binging and it, and then we beat ourselves up because we beat ourselves up. Now we feel worse. We don't know how to handle those emotions. So we turn to food again. And then it becomes a cycle that is really, really hard to get out of. And so, so that's the main thing is usually that perfectionism. As an emotional eating coach, do you ever espouse a certain diet or meal plan, or do you ever encourage your clients to stay away from things? Or once you have this master, does it sort of crack open anything you want in, in moderation? So I usually do, we usually do the very deep work first. Once you feel, so this is what I feel like normally we're kind of doing things backwards. We do the diet in order to feel confident in order to feel like we, it's not the weight loss that we want. It's the feeling that we think that weight loss is going to give us. Right. So it's like, I believe that if I lose the weight, then I'll be confident then I'll be lovable. Then I will be able to wear that bikini. Then I will. But if, we are in control of our emotions. The only thing we're really in control of is our internal, right? So if I can get you or when I get you to a place of so much self-love, so much confidence, so much as you are accepting where you are. And then from that place, it's like as a byproduct, now you're going to want to eat better. Now you're going to want to move your body because it feels good not to punish it, but because you want to, because it's like, why wouldn't I, right? Like, I don't want to put that in my body because I love myself so much. And so the self-love work is really, it's, mm-hmm. it's really powerful. I, I, I think you probably have a lot of people out there who are like, okay, I'm on board with that. I know that when I care about who I am more inside that I can work on the outside, but gosh, it probably feels like a big task. Um, how many, how much time does that take? And how does that look in your interactions with these women you work with to get them, truly get them to a place of self-love? Yeah. So I can't, obviously I can't say it's like, you know, two months and you're done or three months and we're there. It it really varies so much between the people and just, and also how committed they are to a lot of people are just interested in the self-love piece. They're just interested. But then when it comes to actually putting in the work, they're not fully committed. Um, So the women that are fully committed that do the six month program, I can, I can tell you for a fact, like by the end of the six months, they are, they're, they're, feeling so much more self-love there. And yes, you're going to, you know, sometimes you, there's a little bit of like, you take a step back and you, you know, you you eat a little bit overeat it, but it's so different from what it was in the beginning. But again, this is, this is years, 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 years of conditioning that we are overriding and, Mm -hmm. and up. And so it does take some time, but, um, but I do. So when I also do give, like, I have a, a separate course, I don't go it, go through it fully, like in my six months, but they have it as something that they can go through um, on their own, talking more about food on how to kind of ditch the, the whole diet mentality. And so there I go on more like specifics on like, okay, let's do this around food to get you to eat in, in, intuitively, right? Because my goal mm-hmm. is at the end of it, for us to feel so whole within that nothing externally affects our internal peace, but then also that that will allow us to eat uh, intuitively. That's, you know, that's usually the goal is like, we want to eat when we, when we're hungry, stop when we're full. And so I do give some tips also, like as we're going through the program and as we're learning to deal with our emotions and as we're learning to embody this higher version of ourselves, 
let's go ahead and uh, and use these little tips so that we can um, you know we don't overeat while we're while we're going through it. Give us. Um, I, I know you on your website say you're a self-professed former binge eater. What was your worst point that made you turn around? And did you do that with the help of someone else? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, okay. My worst, probably the, the, my worst point. So when I was in high school and college, I started dealing with eating disorders and bulimia. Um, I would binge again to numb emotions. Most of it started, it got really, really bad when I went to college, I was really lonely. And so I didn't know how to deal with it and the stress from college and everything. And so I would eat and I literally, it got to the point where my, I mean, my, I, I was failing classes because all my, the amount of mental space that food took up was just out of control. So I would go, there was a Walmart that I could literally walk to from my dorm room and I would walk to the Walmart. I would buy food and buy like all this junk food, eat it. And this is not the prettiest, but like I would purge and then even buy more. And it became kind of like a drug for me. Honestly, it was the way that I was numbing. It was my drug. And so I, it, it got to the point where I was, I was so ashamed of what the cashier at Walmart would say, because there was always, you know, the same cashiers and different things. Cause I was like buying more junk food for like the second or third time that day that I started stealing food. And I was like, when it, when it got to that point, that's when I was like, okay, this is a new low for me. I need to speak up. So I went and I finally told my mom about it. And just even seeing how it crushed my family was really this trigger for me that like, okay, I need to get better. I need to heal. And so I started, I went to rehab. I started working with a nutritionist, a psychiatrist, a psychologist. Um, but what really, 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 really shifted everything for me was when I started doing the personal development, when I started doing, um, working with Tony Robbins and not just even Tony's work, but then after that doing like self-love certifications, food and body image certifications. And I just started really learning so much about myself that, uh, that, that shifted everything is just going inside. Cause for the most part I was, you know, I became a nutritionist and again, I was like trying to manipulate and control my food more. I became a personal trainer trying to manipulate and control my exercise more. Maybe if I exercise more then I won't overeat, but everything was very external. So when I started focusing on my internal, it, it shifted everything for me. Yeah. Gosh, I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for all you went through. I just hear that story a lot. And I just, my heart, my heart goes out to you. I know you're, you're great now and you're doing well and you're helping others now, but that version yeah. of you, I'm just, I'm sorry you had to go through that because that is something that, um, you know, that's a point that, that we shouldn't have to hit that, that to get where you are now. And I'm yeah. just a testament to the amazing work you've done. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to tell you this crazy story because I'm, I'm hearing everything that you're saying and, and I relate um, I relate on a level to it. What was a really turning point for me, and I'm curious to know if this was a turning point for you as well, being a mother, was having gone through life not being aware of a number on the scale aside from doctor's appointments. I was active. I didn't really, I didn't think about it. I didn't have any issues to deal with. And then as soon as I had kids and I started going in, <laughs> during the prenatal visits to be weighed and they'd be screaming what my weight across the room. And I'm not even that I care, but I'm like, you know, I was up to 170 at one point, um, which is uh, I gained 50 some pounds with one and 40 some with the other two. Anyway, what is ironic to me is that I can get through my, in my personal experience, most of my life unscathed by these issues. And then when I hit motherhood, I'm like, well, isn't this, isn't this the shit? Like I get through it and now I have to step on a scale and I understand why people get totally messed up because as soon as you start to equate 
your self-worth with that number, it was just game over for me. And I still have a scale in my room after my third baby. It's the, the only time I, I brought it in was after our third because I, I don't know why I forget how it ended up in there. But now that it's in there, it is like a black hole of negativity, Andrea. I hate it. And yet I step on it. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm a almost 40 year old woman. And I, I hate it. I hate it so much. And I hate that it's so easy to be sucked into that vortex. And yet as someone who is overall pretty healthy, I don't know what to do to like, just fully get rid of that forever. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally get that. That is, that is so huge. And it's, it's just that it's just like we say, it's almost better to have never dieted in your life. Then once you start dieting and you start like looking at the scale and you start now your worth is and then you restricted. And we know for a fact that restriction causes overconsumption. So just the fact, like, it's like a little kid, you tell them don't touch and you just want to touch. Right. So that restriction makes it all the more shinier. And it's just, yeah, no, I completely agree with that. It's, it's yeah. I see that all the what, time. What does a, like um, a good self-love um, mantra or practice look like? Can you run us through something and I'm don't give away too much, but you know, something that someone as a client of yours might, you know, look in the mirror and say to themselves, or I don't know what your exercises look like, but can you give us a specific example of how you begin that journey to self-love? So I will say one of the biggest things, just like I mentioned, um, that I see that is in common with everyone is the perfectionism. Another thing that is super common is we, as humans, we have these, we have our, our needs, right? We have the need for love. We have the need to feel important. We have the need for, um, for safety. And for most women that are struggling with this, it's this need for safety, the uncertainty that we, that really maybe gets challenged all the time. For example, when, when, COVID started, right? We, the, the whole virus started, the whole pandemic started. People, people's like external was so chaotic. And so because the external was so chaotic, we were allowing the external to dictate our internal. And so we were feeling chaotic within. We're like, not sure what's going on. Our safety is compromised. And we as humans need to feel safe. We need to know that we're going to, we need to be certain that we can pay the bills. We need to be certain that we're going to survive. Right. And so most of us, um, you know, can be like, for example, just getting in a car, most of us can get by with, with trust, but when these like bigger things in life challenge our need for safety, it becomes like with, with COVID, there was just so many more people needing emotional eating support, right? Cause now you're home, you're stuck at home and everything's chaotic. And you're like, what do I do? Oh my God, I'm just going to eat. Right. So, um, so it was, it's, all of that to say that one of the biggest practices and one of the practices that I start with is teaching women how to feel safe within without needing to look externally. If everything is falling down around you, if COVID happens, if whatever, there's another pandemic, God forbid, all these different things, we, when we have the ability to feel whole and to feel safe within, then we're not freaking out we're not, we don't have like this anxiety response and all these different things so that then we turn to food. So one of the biggest practices or one of the biggest things to learn, the very first place to start is to feel safe within and feel safe with even like going into your body and exploring these pieces of you and healing the internal because most of us won't go there because we feel like, oh, if I, if I go into my emotions, then who knows what's going to come up, right? Like it's not safe to feel. 
And so what I love to say is that we need to feel in order to heal. Most of us, again, are just kind of stuffing everything down. But when we allow ourselves to feel, it's not most of the time when it comes to emotional eating, it's not a matter of like, I need to willpower more. I need more willpower. It's not a, com a willpower conversation. It's a conversation of like, how can we expand our capacity to feel? How can we feel more into the anxiety and learn from it and, and heal it versus stuffing it down, right? Love it. Can I get to some viewer questions, Instagram questions more specifically? Because yeah, we had a bunch and I want to make sure we get to them. Um, and, and with this, you can go as long or as short as you'd like, but I do want to get through them. Um, okay. This is an interesting question that I think came in, in several versions. So I simplified it. Why do some people stop eating when they're stressed and others overeat? And is it a choice or is it a reaction? Is it a choice? It's a reaction. It's definitely a reaction. All of those different things. It's all ways that we've learned to protect ourselves. And so it's the overeating honestly is beautiful. Overeating or not eating, it's beautiful. It's the ways and it's 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 all just ways that we've learned as children that we can get comfort, that we can protect ourselves. For example, sometimes the not eating, some people would pr prefer to under eat, like if you're feeling pain externally or you're feeling the anxiety or you're feeling whatever kind of pain, not eating will, it's like, it's a different kind of pain. Therefore it makes you, you know, it's like, okay, well, if I, if I don't eat, then it distracts me from the current pain that's going on. I'm just going to focus on not eating and, and, and feel that hunger instead. Right. So it's, it's almost, it's strange. Most people that like to overeat like me, I'm like, I don't get it. Why did you ever stop? <laughs> I can't stop eating. But, um, but it's definitely, it's a way to protect yourself. It's a way to not feel the pain. I'm going to override that pain with a different kind of pain. Right. And same with the, the overeating. It's like, sometimes again, it's, it's all just different conditioning, maybe just different ways that we, that we chose to protect ourselves when, when things go, aren't going our way. Right. So it, the, the not stress eating and the overeating for stress are both those emotional reactions is what you're it's saying. It's all an emotional reaction. It's all protection mechanisms. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I got to stay when I'm stressed, I stay far away from food, but it's never, you never end up feeling great. Even if you end up going through something long lasting and losing weight, it's always like, Oh God, I got here. Like breakup, you know, weight loss is the worst, but you're also kind of like, well, at least I lost. <laughs> I feel horrible yeah. saying that, but it, it becomes what you associate with it. Then you look yourself in the mirror and you're like, actually, I, I, I'd rather be happy. And, and there I was, but, but even it's interesting. Just to add to that really quick, even just the, the, when you're stressed or you have a lot going on, not eating, it's almost, it's yes, it's a, it's a way that we protect ourselves, but it's almost like maybe you really feel like I used to have this all the time. Like I used to overwork so that in order to feel like, I felt like if I was just kind of laying around, I wasn't worthy. I wasn't, you know, I needed, I needed to be doing, I needed to people please. I needed to whatever, whatever that may be. So sometimes we keep ourselves really, really, really busy. So mm -hmm. that we feel like we're worthy, right? It's like sometimes we have that um, that belief around, it, you know, the busier. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, yes. We, our, our culture really just exalts that too. You know, there's a hustle culture out there. Exactly. That yeah. Adds to all of this. Okay. The next yeah. question is: Can you talk about cortisol, the stress hormone that can make you overweight? Does it affect appetite? So I don't go into that. I am a nutritionist and I could, I could probably dive deeper into that. But again, I do more of the psychology and the emotions behind it. Okay. When I, um, 
I do work with with Tony Robbins Platinum Partners and stuff, and we do their nutrition and their fitness, and we do usually look at like adrenals, cortisol, all those different things. But I'm not the one that reads those uh, those labs. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't really go there, especially. On Can here. you suggest, or do you suggest to your clients as part of their work and time with you to go outside and get a medical opinion, get your hormone panels run, adrenals, all that? Is that ever part of your um, sort of suggested additional treatment? It depends on the person. If it's someone that really is just like emotionally eating and they know like, okay, if I stop binging, like I'll lose the weight and all these things. Yes. If it's okay. someone that, you know, if, if there's different, you know, they're, they're really doing everything. They stop the binging, they, whatever. And they, and they really like, they just can't control their weight just keeps going up. Then yes, I have all the resources to refer out and, and the top. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Love it. Okay. Next question is what are feasible alternatives to food when we need that quick dopamine hit? Feasible alternatives to food. Um, okay. There's, there's just so many foods that we could, uh, that we could swap out. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, or do you ever suggest, you know, rather than someone who may tend to sit down and open a bag of popcorn, do you say, okay, these are three activities that you can do and say, can you sub out the action of eating? Do you tell your clients, okay, go out and, I don't know, take a walk instead or play with your kids? Can an action sort of sub out for the food? Yeah. yeah. So here's, here is, here's the thing with that. And 100%, if you normally sit down and you're having chips, there is smart food popcorn that is a way better option, right? Or whatever that may be that's gonna, that's, that has less calories, all those different things. Again, it's not, but it's not necessarily like, let's swap out what I'm eating. Let's get to the root cause of why you're eating in the first place, right? Like, and what's the intention behind the eating, the needing to eat the chips or needing to eat the popcorn? It's, it's getting to the root cause. Again, if we, if we just kind of like swap it out, yeah, I mean, maybe you'll have a little bit less calories, but you haven't really dealt with what's really going on. And so same with the actions, like sometimes if we, um, you know, you're feeling anxiety or you're, you've like had this whole day and you just want to like uh, eat to punish yourself or whatever at the end of the day, you, I can say, okay, go for a walk, but still you're going to be walking and not really processing what's going on. So the ideal is to not willpower and change the thing or willpower and like go for a walk, but again, feel in order to heal what's actually going on. And so this isn't the sexy thing that people want to hear. People want like quick fixes, but the idea is that if you're able to sit with the pain for longer, and I know that does, again, it sounds crazy, but if you're able to kind of sit down before you grab the bag of popcorn or the grab the bag of chips and just take a deep breath and feel into what am I actually needing right now? It's never food. I guarantee you, if you're not hungry, if you're not, if you've ate, you've eaten and you're not hungry, it's never food that you actually want. It might be comfort. It might be love. It might be validation. It might be whatever that may be. And so it's taking a look at what am I actually needing right now? And how can I give that to myself? Where most people giving it to yourself might be a little bit harder to be like, I'm going to love myself. You know, that does take some some maybe some tips or some different tools so most people don't even know what self-love feels like so if you can't go there then maybe okay maybe let me call a friend because i'm feeling like i need love right mm -hmm. so it's getting to what do you actually need that you're turning to food for the comfort that really you're just needing to feel safe maybe you need a hug from your husband or whatever right so getting what you actually need so that you can heal at the root does that make sense yes and that's beautiful and i love 
the answer. It's always the hard things I feel like that are the answer. Like you said, sitting in the pain and stuff like that. Um, but I love that you clarified that because maybe, maybe there are some people who are apt to, you know, like you said, swap out a run or <clears throat> excuse me, an activity for that. But then all you're doing is using that activity, I guess, to mask that. Yeah. I have to cut, sort of piggyback. Hold on. I need a sip of water. Um, there are people who are <clears throat> authors, maybe in some cases occupy part of the nutrition space who go out and tell their <clears throat> followers, keep the promise to yourself to lose weight at all costs. Is that dangerous? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Um, yes, there. Yes. Yes. And no. So there, I, I always say sometimes it's, it's about like the smaller commitments that we know that we can kind of follow through on in order to rebuild that self-trust with ourselves. Most of the time, what we've done in the past is we've said, I'm going to start this diet and it's a 30 day cleanse and I'm only going to eat this. And then we don't, and we're like, I'm going to stick to it and I'm going to stick to it. And then we don't follow through. And that just builds on the belief that I'm not good enough. I never do. I, pr I promise things to myself and I never follow through with them. So sometimes setting those really, really, really high goals ends up being really detrimental because now it's just building to that like negative self self image and I'm not worthy. I'm not trustworthy. And so, um, so yeah, so sometimes I say it's like, it's better to not even set those goals, <laughs> right? Because um, unless again, it's like the smaller little goals that, you know, let me like micro goals so that you start to rebuild that trust, even just like, okay, I'm going to yeah. make my bed in the morning, make your bed. And then you're like, okay, cool. I'm doing the thing. But most of us just don't have that self-trust anymore because we, so, oh yeah, no, that makes total sense. Cause you're swapping out a bigger potential for letting down than the next. So that being said, when you work with someone, do you set goals at all? Like maybe just more short-term ones or how does that look with your clients? Yeah. So with my clients, we set their goals for the six months, just the, the image that they want. Um, and it's, it's, it's really cool. I have this like higher self, uh, activation, uh, exercise that I run them through. They create their like self, the self image that they want to focus on for the next six months, the goals that they want. And, um, and we put it into like this audio soundtrack with like the song that motivates them. They record it. It's really, really cool. The, their new mantra and they listen to it every single morning as a way to reprogram ways to reprogram their subconscious as they're going through the program. Uh, so we do set those goals and the, the image that they want for themselves for the after after they finish the six months. Um, and then they also have an accountability partner where they set goals each week and they keep each other accountable for them. But I like I teach so much of yes, like micro goals, like things that are achievable. And then also um, making it really uh, what's it called? Um, yeah, just making sure that, that, and, and, oh, I got it. I lost it. And then I got it. <laughs> compassion. Even, even when we, when we maybe don't follow through with it is the, the compassion piece of it is huge is the not blame ourselves, not shame ourselves, but just looking at it with curiosity and not identifying with it as like, I'm a bad person because I didn't follow it, but just observing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. The final viewer question is, and this, this can be kind of a generic answer because I know again, everybody's different. She's asking if people tend to emotionally eat at a certain time of the day, she says, I do more of my emotional meeting emotional eating after 9 p.m. Is there a common thread you hear when you work with people? Yeah, 100% usually at night. 
it's usually at, it, it varies, but most of the time it is at night. And it's usually because we spend all day people pleasing and we spend all day, like we go to work and we do stuff for other people. Then we come home and we have like the house, the husband, the kids, all these different things. And so then we don't do anything for ourselves. And at the end of the day, we're like, ah, and we've kind of like restricted throughout the day. I'm going to start really good. And I'm going to not, you know, we don't have pleasure at all with food or with life. And so at the end of the day, we all were looking for most of the time. If you look at the intention behind why you're eating, most of the time it's to just get some freaking sort of pleasure, some time for yourself, some pleasure to unwind, right? It's all like we're seeking pleasure, but then we end up like, oh, we end up eating so fast. We're not present that we don't really get the pleasure that we want. So then we're like, okay, I'm going to go for another serving. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, totally. I want to round it out with, with one question that I just thought of that I think would be helpful for anyone raising kids out there. The last thing we want to do as parents is to make our kids overly conscious ever about their image or um, how they look. We want to focus, of course, on health and things like that, but it can be tricky to <clears throat> give the right reasons to tell kids, okay, this is why we need to eat healthy, or this is why we need to be active without inadvertently tripping one of those booby traps of self-image issues. So as a mom yourself, do you have any advice for parents who want to keep their families healthy, but don't want to take it into that unhealthy territory? I am learning this myself as we're going, um, but it's really kind of just how to speak to them and, and what to do there. But definitely leading by example is just the best thing that we can do, right? And it's allowing them also to, um, to, to kind of be in touch with their body. And I, I always encourage, uh, my, my husband has two, two kids as well, so I have two stepkids. I have a newborn and then two stepkids, but with the, with the boys, I'm always like, you know, just having them take deep breaths, like get in touch with their body, really, taste their food and, and enjoy it, like be present while they're eating. And then like, we'll actually play a game of eating with our left hand, because if you do it or with the opposite hand, whatever you do with the opposite hand is usually going to, um, you're, you're going to be more, because it's harder to eat that way, you're going to be more present. So we'll play a game and we'll eat with our opposite hand so that we're more present, we're tasting the food. And then, and then I'm usually like just checking in with them. How's your body feeling? You know, are you full? Are you hungry? So that they really because by the end, like most of the time, we're just taught to finish your plate. There's people starving in Africa or so you can grow, you know, strong and big. And it's like we end up overeating so much that um, we, we lose touch with our body and we lose touch with our hunger and fullness signals. So it's usually just taking it back to so leading by example and letting them take it back to their body. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. shut off the TVs and the iPads, which is a challenge. While they're eating. Yes. Oh yeah. my gosh. It yeah. does. It, it completely impacts the way that they interact with their food when they're just like, Ooh. like I made the mistake of letting them in the morning sometimes when they're having breakfast, just have their iPads while, you know, running around and getting dressed. And it's like, it's just like a complete disconnect between like what's happening in reality and what's happening in their iPad. I'm like, oh my yeah. God, it, it's, it's a slippery slope for sure. Um, is there anything we missed, Andre? I feel like we got so much good information here and I just really love your approach of self-love first. So is there anything we missed? Any words of encouragement you want to offer to people who are trying to get back on the path of intuitive eating and break bad cycles? Honestly, I just remember when I was going through it, how much I felt like this is just who I am. Like this is just, I am just an overeater. I'm just a binge eater. There's, there's no way out. You know, this is, this is just how, you know, I'm just going to diet for the rest of my life and yo-yo back and forth. And, and I just want everyone to know that 
it, I never thought I would be where I am today. And it is so, 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 so incredibly possible. It is, again, maybe not the sexy route. It's not the quick fix route. But when we, it, it all, like we are at our core, we are such beings of light and love and we are so perfect. And it's just, we just have to reconnect to our bodies in order to fully heal and and just peel off these layers of conditioning that most of the time it's like, wait, why am I believing this? Why am I even thinking this? Is this true? Is this mine? Or is this something that I picked up from my parents and society and all these different things? So this is the work is really and in going inside. And, and then once you do that and you feel this, like, like you become this higher version of yourself, that's just like free and doesn't have this food all like on your mind all the time. It is, it just becomes this, uh, like every single area of your life shifts. When you're not in lack around food, then you're not in lack around love and money and relationships. And so it's shifting internally will shift every single area of your life. So it's, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously a little biased, but this is the most amazing work that you can do. Oh, I love it. Like I said at the beginning, the testimonials on your website are, are pretty incredible. And um, it was, I, you know, I watched a couple of the video ones too, and you can tell when someone's been changed or impacted and, and you can see that in your clients, which has got to be pretty cool to witness yourself too, like in, in real time. Yeah, it's incredible. It really is. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us how we can work with you, Andrea, how we can find you. And of course, if you're, I'm sure you are, but I'm going to ask anyway, doing remote work with anybody who might not be geographically near you yeah when i only do the remote stuff now which is awesome honestly with a baby so uh yeah things andrea says like it says right here um that's what my on, on instagram that's the website as well and the ditch to scale academy is on there as well as i have a couple courses um you know just to kind of start out and kind of ditch dieting and learn some tools around food or i have a self-sabotage master class as well and so anything that you are needing support with more than anything not even like for the courses or anything like that this is literally this is so much my passion because i know what it's like to have food be or to not feel worthy and just have food be such a big piece of your life that if anyone's needing support period just reach out to me on instagram answer all the messages and support anyone that i can on there love it and and ditch the scale you're telling us i should just chuck that puppy right through the window done we don't need scales right is this what i'm hearing like <laughs> done. literally the name of my academy <laughs> yeah i know i was like that's a great name it's very yeah descriptive. it's more it came more from just ditching like anything external this mm -hmm. because the scale is just like an external factor that's dictating our worth yep so it's more about ditching anything external that is affecting our internal it's like gone are the days that the external dictates how we feel inside like we get to yeah. And gosh, you know, like, a, like woman to woman, like, I just love hearing that empowering way of taking back ownership of that. Cause we are competing every day with just struggling to feel okay to, to, to get out the door and not just get into this cycle of, of self-criticism. So, um, we're fighting the good fight sister. I love your yeah, work. But it really um, is just that it's taking your power back from yeah. the scale. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm so grateful you spent a few, a few minutes with us, Andrea, and gave us Thank your time this you. morning. Thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you soon. And, and guys, we'll put all of the links as well as always in show notes. Sorry, I had that little frock in my throat. Did you hear me like completely lose it for a couple of seconds there? Woo! The perils of live TV. 
Um, anyhow, I'm really grateful you took a few minutes to listen to uh, this episode today. As always, these episodes stream live um, on Facebook and YouTube Wednesdays. The audio comes out every Thursday, so there's lots of ways to get at this content. And then I always do a little show wrap up on the blog. So make sure you go to wegotatalk.com slash blog, and you're going to find all of this goodness in written form at some point, because we like to make sure that people who like to listen, watch, and read are all taken care of on We Gotta Talk. Thanks again so much for listening to this episode. Please leave a rating and review. That makes a huge difference. And we'll see you guys next week right here on We Gotta Talk with some more goodness. Bye, guys.